Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 114. And uh, I believe I mentioned last week when we were going through Psalm 113 that Psalms 113 to 118, they are known as the Hallel Psalms. That's where we get the word hallelujah from. Um, But they were special songs that were sung by God's people in the Old Testament during their annual holiday celebrations, things like Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost, things like that. Uh, The first two, Psalm 113 and 114, they're typically sung before each family would celebrate the Passover meal, and then the rest of them were sung after. And in just a moment, when we read Psalm 114 together, I think it will make sense why this song was included in that Passover celebration. Psalm 114 is all about God redeeming his people out of slavery in Egypt and carrying them to the land that he promised them. Uh, It's a history song, a song dealing his story, God's story, with his people and their story, the relationship they had with their redeeming God. Uh, The great 19th century Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said this about these eight verses here. He said, true poetry has here reached its climax. No human mind has ever been able to equal, much less than excel, the grandeur in this beautiful psalm. And its, its rhythm and meter are, are beautiful, even more so in the Hebrew. We lose a little bit of that uh, in the English translation. But it's the lyrics, right? It's, the, it's what those lyrics communicate uh, that propels this song higher than any poem that's ever been written. We have a redeeming God, amen? He redeems us. And um, I hope you know him as such. And if you've been redeemed by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, um, this history song, it, it's your song as well. Uh, I hope that every time you read about the Exodus, every time you read about God redeeming his people in the Old Testament, I hope you're powerfully reminded about what that redemption was a foreshadow of, what it was designed by God to point to, our own redemption out of sin and bondage and death uh, to the freedom that's found in new life and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let's read it. Psalm 114 says, When Israel went out of Egypt, The house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah, was his sanctuary. And Israel, his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like little lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? O thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. Ye mountains that ye skip like rams and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Let's pray. God, we come to this uh, song you've given us here, and it's a song of praise to you for your redeeming work. Uh, In it, you remind us of uh, your presence. In it, you remind us of your great power. We've already sung of that tonight and how you're indescribable and you're unchangeable and there's no one like you. 
Uh, but God, also here in this psalm, you remind us of the purpose in our redemption, why it is you did what you did, why you sent Jesus to save us and to redeem us, and it's that we might worship you. And I pray that we would in a way that uh, glorifies you and magnifies your great worth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, verses 1 and 2, it, it really the, the thing stressed there is God's presence uh, in our redemption. God had the psalmist uh, pen a very short song here, just eight verses. And so verses 1 and 2, they begin this history lesson rather abruptly. There's not much of an introduction. It just says, when Israel went out uh, of Egypt, when uh, the house of Jacob went out from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. So God gets right to the point, right off the bat here, doesn't he? I mean, we understand that the, the theme of this worship song is going to be God's redemption of his people uh, out of Egypt from a people of a strange language. And I want you to just take a moment right now and try to remember uh, what your life was like before you were redeemed. Before you trusted in Jesus as Savior. And while every person's history is different, none of our two stories are, are probably exactly alike. Um, they do have this in common. Before that, every one of us was lost. We were lost. Um, God's Word tells us in Colossians 1.13 that we were a part of the kingdom of darkness. But somewhere and somehow we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, we heard who Jesus is and what he had done for us uh, to save us from our sins. And, and Lord willing, I hope the testimony of everyone here is you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, let me quote all of Colossians 1.13 for you. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. It means when we got saved, we were redeemed. And God did that. It's our history with him, if you've trusted Christ as Savior. And verse 2 says this uh, about God's redemption, about when God brought his people out of Egypt. It says, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. And uh, so God doesn't just redeem people. He doesn't just save them and then set them free and say, okay, here, there you go. Try again, 2.0. Uh, good luck. No, as we learned in that verse from Colossians, we were transferred out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and we were transferred into another kingdom, the kingdom of his dear son. Before that, we were slaves, just like the Hebrew people were in Egypt. We were slaves to sin and to death. We were subjects of the kingdom of darkness, but now uh, we're strangers to that kingdom that we were once uh, a part of because we are subjects in Christ's kingdom. We know his presence. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ indwells us. He desires to fill us. I want you to listen to this language about God's redemption here in verse 2. It says, Judah was his sanctuary. And that's true literally. Um, I mean, the tribe of Judah was the largest of the, of the tribes of Israel. Uh, it was the one that had preeminence. When it was time to pack up the tabernacle and go to the next place in the wanderings in the wilderness, Judah went out first. Uh, it was also his sanctuary because even when there was a kingdom, uh, Judah was the place where the temple was, where, where the literal presence of God, uh, the Shekinah glory, the, the fire, the cloud, where it rested in the Holy of Holies. And once Israel came to be ruled by human kings, Jerusalem in Judah, that was the place where the royal palace was. But, but in the Hebrew, the word translated as sanctuary here in verse 2 in English in Hebrew, it's Kodesh, and it means to be set apart, uh, to be consecrated, and um, 
to God. And that's what God did when he redeemed you and I. He set us apart as his forever. And we are now to live a life that's consecrated to him and to his kingdom. You know, after God redeemed his people, it says Israel became his dominion. That's the place where God rules. That's what dominion means. Uh, in Judah, we focus a little bit on the geographical, and that's not incorrect. But, but when God chooses to use the word Israel here, describing his dominion, there's a spiritual element that applies to us uh, as well as God's people right here tonight. This is his dominion. God rules here. Amen? I hope he does. God rules here. Uh, dominion, the Hebrew word is memshalah, the realm where God is the king. Is Jesus the king of kings in your life? Uh, is your life the realm where he rules? Does God rule here? Be honest now. Does God rule here? He's supposed to. That's his desire. That's his right. Because he redeemed you. Um, yeah, does Jesus rule here? Let me ask this. Does Jesus rule here? At Dublin First Baptist Church. Um, you know, if we can all answer in the affirmative to the first question, if we're all making sure that Jesus rules here individually, then we're going to be blessed to know his presence. We're going to be blessed to know his power uh, as, as subjects corporately, uh, you know, as a church family. We will be his realm. Uh, is his presence as king evident here in our church family? And that's important because I mean, really, woe to the church where that's not the case. Uh, where, where there's even an inkling of rebellion to his reign. How sad. How sad that they don't experience the presence of God like they could. That they don't experience the power because one or, or even many are in rebellion to his rule in their lives. But what a blessing. What a joy there is. What a peace there is. Um, from having a sense of the king's presence when we as his subjects, when we as his redeemed people recognize he has a right to reign in our lives and through our lives. We're to be his sanctuary. We're to be consecrated, set apart. That's the main idea there. There's an apartness. And listen, when, when that apartness is minimized or when we find ourselves not all that apart from this world, not consecrated to our king, well, then it shouldn't surprise us that we experience at least some sense of, of a loss of his presence in our redemption. And when that's the case, our king didn't go anywhere, did he? No, it's we who did. So we're to be a sanctuary. That's the message in verses 1 and 2. Desire his presence. Joyfully live in his dominion. That's what it means to fear God. We'll get more on that later. But, but in verses 3 to 6, it's definitely talking about the, the power in his redemption. And with the Wednesday night crew, I, I don't think we have a need to go back and read in the book of Exodus uh, what uh, verses 3 through 6 are, are referring to. That is definitely about the power in our redemption. What was it like for God's people back then? I want you to think about it. I mean, they watched the one true God send plague after plague upon the Egyptian people um, with uh, intentionality designed by God to show that their small g gods, whether it was a God of the River Nile or this other God, to show that none of them, uh, were real. None of them had power like the one true God. And when Pharaoh had had enough, what did he do? He sent the people on their way. Well, it wasn't long before he changed his mind once again, and he, he sent the full force of the Egyptian army uh, out to, to turn them back. How did that turn out? 
What happened to the world's military superpower of, of the time? Well, they found themselves literally underwater, right? <laughs> At the bottom of the Red Sea. Horses, chariots, soldiers. Uh, but what about God's people? Now they made it through <laughs> the Red Sea. They made it through that obstacle right before. Uh, verse 3 says, The sea saw it and fled. And Jordan was driven back. And now here God actually combines two different displays of his power. One of them at the beginning of the redemption of his people. And one at the end. uh, When he parted the Red Sea to deliver his people out of Egypt. And then when he parted the Jordan River to deliver his people into his promise. And God does that on purpose here in verse 3. And not just for them. He's got a message for you and I here tonight. Who've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. Do you understand that God powerfully redeemed you when you first came to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, that was God's work. Uh, And I hope you also realize he will powerfully uh, complete your redemption when your salvation is full and final. I mean, it's as good as that right now. We've learned here in the Psalms that a promised act of God is as good as done. But um, let's talk about our beginning of our redemption. When we first trusted Christ as our Savior, you know, we we did not save ourselves. (laughs) We did not. It it was God. It was no power from us. We simply yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. He he was convicting us of sin. He convicted us of who we were and what we needed. And then the Holy Spirit powerfully convinced us that the only way we could be saved and have eternal life was through faith in Jesus. That was the powerful work of God in our redemption. That would be our Red Sea parting, like he's talking about here in in verse 3. And then his grace, even right now, his grace is what's powerfully keeping you and I ever since we've trusted in Christ as Savior, as we live for Christ, as he conforms us into the image of Christ. And then one day, one day, one of two things is going to happen to every single one of us. Either that trumpet is going to sound and Christ will in the blink of an eye call all of us heavenward, and that'd be great. Or God's time for us on this earth will be over and he'll call our soul heavenward. But both of those are powerful works of God that that complete our redemption. It would be our Jordan uh, parting, just like it says in verse 3. And aren't you glad for that? Uh, At least for the rapture, let me tell you this, the older I get, the less high I can jump. And I'm quite glad that my rapture is not going to be dependent on my power. In a blink of an eye, I'll be taken up. And if Christ delays his return, and like that old hymn says, when my life here is over, it's time for me to cross the swelling tide. I'm, I'm very glad that in my weakened state, it will not be up to my power for him to bring me home. He'll do that. God's power in our redemption is not just on display in the Red Sea and Jordan River. He, he alludes to other aspects. Uh, verse 4 says, The mountains skip like rams and the little hills like lambs. What is God talking about here? Well, you know, when God's people left Egypt, um, pretty quickly they, they went to Mount Sinai where they entered into a covenant relationship with God. And uh, he gave them his law. And he took them on as his people. That mountain skipped like a ram, didn't it? Uh, Think about how little lambs are, you know, try to picture that right now. Little lambs scooting around playfully in a barnyard, in a pasture. And then listen to the description in Exodus 19:18. It says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it uh, with fire and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. Now, I'll give you an illustration 
uh, of what's going on here. But it, when I was a kid, and even honestly, I think into like junior high years, I spent my summers out in Iowa with my grandparents, the one that was a, a preacher, and um, they would take me around honestly, to a lot of cemeteries where they'd show me places. But often it was like half-hour trip or an hour trip. And this is way before iPhones or tablets or anything to keep me occupied in the car. But you know what my grandma did to keep me occupied? At the time, I thought it was kind of torturous. I'm, I'm thankful for it now. She had a subscription to Reader's Digest. And in the very back, there was like kind of a game. I didn't feel like a game to me. It was called, It Pays to Enrich Your Word Power. You remember that? It was like a quiz with multiple choice answers and would teach you vocabulary. And she would, she would uh, I guess, maybe try to help me in my vocabulary. Let's learn a new word tonight, okay? Theophany. Can you say that? Theophany. If, you, if you're missing a front tooth, it'd be really tough. All right, theophany. Uh, that is a, that's a theological term for a visible manifestation of God in nature. Uh, when God wants to communicate with us, when he wants us to know, hey, I'm here, and I'm powerful. And the Red Sea party, that's a theophany. That was something supernatural. I know I've watched things on Discovery Channel. What might have caused this? I'll tell you, God will save you a bunch of time. Like the Jordan River party, supernatural. That was a theophany. God was telling his people, hey, I'm here, and I'm powerful. Like Mount Sinai, this giant mountain, violently trembling, because God's presence was there. Those are all theophanies. The mountains and the little hills skipped. Uh, there's another place in Deborah, uh, Deborah in Judges 5.4. After uh, God used her to deliver God's people. Um, she sings about when Israel first entered the promised land. She mentions the earth trembling there as well. All theophanies. God's saying, I'm present. And I'm here. And I'm powerful. Now I don't know about you, but when I see... Things like this in nature, I'm in awe. I've never seen the Red Sea parting. I've read about it. Never seen the Jordan parting. I've never seen a mountain violently shaking. I don't know that I want to. I've seen some storms. I like storms. Um, I, I remember uh, growing up, I grew up half an hour from one of the Great Lakes, Lake Michigan. And on our, vaca- on our honeymoon, we went to uh, Lake Superior. That's even bigger yet. For us, those are our oceans in the upper Midwest. Right? You can't see the other side closest thing we have. But I remember going out there in the fall, maybe we'd be salmon fishing or trout fishing uh, off of some jetty on, on Lake Michigan. And those storms that come in the fall, I mean, waves just crashing up. And it's ominous, but at the same time, it's awesome and cool. And you're just like, wow, this is powerful. And I can go four or five hours west of here to the mountains in North Carolina, especially when I see a large granite rock face, kind of like at Chimney Rock, where they filmed the uh, one of my favorite movies, Last of the Mohicans, right? And we, we went out on that rock, and I'm like, man, this is huge. This is just one giant rock. And then I remember that God's bigger. This is big, <laughs> but God's big. He can make this rock skip around like a, like a little lamb is what it's referring to here. What seems immovable in our lives, we're like, man, this is massive. It's out of control. We, we have no control over it. Things like a hurricane or a tropical storm. It's nothing to God. He can make them skip like little rams. And his omnipotence and his sovereign control, he's more powerful than them. And that's the message in verses 5 and 6 as well. The psalmist poetically asks uh, the Red Sea and the Jordan and and the mountains. He asks them a question. He says, what ailed thee, Red Sea? He's saying, what's your problem, Jordan River? 
What caused you to violently tremble, Mount Sinai? Why are you uh, moving around like a playful little lamb? And then the answer is in verse 7. For the first time in seven verses now, God is mentioned. There's been obvious implications before. There's even been pronouns before, but this is the first time God is mentioned. And now we have his name. The, the psalm's been building up to this moment. It says, tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, the presence of the Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, Adonai, the master, the sovereign one. God in his presence caused these theophanies. And it's here in verses 7 and 8 that we find out the purpose in our redemption. It's really not about us. It's not about you and I. God didn't save us. He didn't redeem us just to redeem us. I mean, yeah, it's definitely evidence of his great love and his grace and his mercy. But why? What is the purpose in our redemption? What's the purpose in God saving us? It's for his glory. That he might be worshipped. <laughs> that we would, what does it say in verse 7? That we would tremble. Thou earth, are you on the earth? So you're included in that. <laughs> Tremble, thou earth. That's what we're to do. That we would worship him, that we would fear him, that we would obey him. That's what tremble means. The Red Sea never said, no, I don't think I will. I'm not going to part. I mean, Jordan River didn't rebel when God said, move. Mount Sinai didn't reject his command. It, it shook. It quaked. And I fear that too many of us who've been redeemed, uh, we've lost some of our tremble. We're prone to lose our tremble at times. You know what God says in James 2.19 to Christians? He says, you believe in God? It's great. <laughs> Good. But please realize that the, even the demons believe that. And they tremble. They tremble. And how very sad that far too often people who profess to be redeemed, they can't even do what demons do. I think the church has lost some of its tremble in our day. James 2.18 says, show me your faith without your works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. That's how I'm going to worship God in, in trembling. And God's shown us his presence in our redemption here in Psalm 114. He's shown us his power in our redemption. Verse 8 gives us one more example. He turned the rock into a standing water and the flint into fountain. I mean, water came out of a rock. It, didn't, it wasn't just a spring under there and split open. The one who said, let there be light made water come out of a rock. Are you living in the purpose of your redemption? Are you, are you living to tremble, to worship God, to fear? The biblical definition of that. Joyfully submitting to God's will for your life. Trembling Him by obeying Him. That's a purpose in, in our redemption. And before we close, can we go back to just one example of when this happened? Exodus. Let's turn back to Exodus twenty twenty. Would you go there with me? Exodus chapter 20. And just read one verse, verse 20. Um, it was what a chapter. This is where the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. And we'll read verse 20 here in just a second. While you're turning there, let me set the stage. I mean, here we are at that smoky Mount Sinai that, that's violently shaking. And God's people are surrounding and Moses is on it. Uh, the law has just been given. The Ten Commandments were given earlier in chapter 20. And you've got a bunch of redeemed people who are more than aware that up to this point, they haven't done such a great job at doing what God wanted them to do. And then look at verse 20. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, so that ye sin not. 
I love this verse. There's some irony here. Don't fear so that you fear. (laughs) That's not contradictory. God is saying, you don't have to fear all of this power. The shaking mountain. Red Sea parting. You don't have to fear that if you fear me. If you obey me. If you don't ever lose your tremble. Pastor John Piper gave a good illustration, I I think, of what's going on here. Um, When he was kind of new as a pastor, he went, uh, took his family out visiting. They'd been invited over to another family in the church's uh, house, and they went there. He had some little kids at the time. His children were small, and um, those kids do what kids do outside. They were running around, and the family they went and visited had had a big black German shepherd. And that dog did what they do when little kids are running around. What do you think happened? He chased them, right? <laughs> you see a kid running around, he wanted to play. But, the, you know, as a kid, the kids got scared. And then Pastor John called his son over and he told him, he said, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Just don't run. You don't need to be afraid if you don't run from him. I think that's exactly what God's trying to tell us in Exodus twenty twenty. Exactly what God's trying to tell us in Psalm 114 when he tells us that we worship him in our tremble. You know, Psalm 114 has reminded us of God's presence in our redemption. That is amazing that we have a God who wants a relationship with us, that he wants to be near us, and he wants us to be near to him. He redeemed us for that. We've got a powerful God. And that's evidenced in our redemption and the power that achieved it. He, he reminds us of his power so that we may fear him may not sin, so that we truly live like we're his subjects and he's our king, and so that he reigns here in our lives, and so that he reigns here in our church, so that his purpose in our redemption is going to be our consistent experience. This is going to be our reality in life, that he'll be glorified by the people who love him and who live for him. Will you do that tonight? You just for a moment stand in awe of him. Will you tell him, yeah, I want your presence and I know of your power and I want to live out your purpose for my life. I want everything I say, everything I think, everything I do. I want Jesus to be treasured. I want him to be magnified. We'll have the praise team come up in just a moment and we'll, we'll sing a couple of songs. But as we, before we do that, will you pray with me? Lord, help us to never lose our tremble. Uh, forgive us if that's ever been in any way the case in our lives. And uh, in response to your word tonight, we do stand in awe of your great power. And uh, of course, we desire your presence, Lord. We want to be a people in whom you reign. <laughs> we want Jesus to reign here. And in our lives, in our church family, that's your purpose for us. And uh, Lord, as your subjects, give us the desire to live with you as our king and give us the power to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.